You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. So good to have you here at CA Church Rail City Campus. My name is Cam, one of the pastors here. And uh, if this is your first time here, we do welcome you. And we're just so glad if you live in Port Moody, that's why we're here. If you've come from outside Port Moody, you're absolutely welcome here. Uh, We're just so, so excited uh, to be able to have church in this space, in the Inlet Theater. And uh, and it's just been such a blessing to be a part of this community over this last year. We've been in a series called Abraham. And we've been going over the life of Abraham, talking about his faith steps, his missteps, and everywhere in between. And uh, if you don't know who Abraham is, uh, he is one of the most important figures in human history. Three of the world's largest world religions claim him as their founder and forefather, Judaism, Islam, Christianity. Uh, And uh, and from this one family, uh, many nations came forth. Uh, in fact, in Genesis chapter 12, we see that God promises blessing upon Abraham. He says, I'm going to make your name great. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation. He said, I'm going to bless you and bless the world through you. Uh, and so we thought it would just be uh, really you know, a great series for us to go through this fall. Uh, just in case you're new, we didn't just jump into this series because of world events and things like that, but this was something we thought of uh, beforehand, and it just so happens to fall during this time. And in many ways, as we've been going through this story, it is the story that makes sense of our stories. Uh, As we look at this story, we can begin to make sense of current history and current world events. Abraham, uh, you know, he he was in a place called Ur of the uh, Chaldeans. Uh, He believed and placed his faith in the Lord, uh, but he also made many mistakes along the way. He brought his nephew Lot with him, uh, uh, and if you have read through that story, you know that that was a very big mistake. Lot seems to be at the center of all the chaos in Abraham's life. Uh, He, uh, at one point while in Egypt, pretends that his wife is his sister. That was a very awkward, uh, you know, event in the life of Abraham. Man, I wouldn't want my life events to be recorded in a book that would be read, you know, a number of thousands of years later. (laughs) But here it is. And last week, uh, we see Sarah and Abraham, after this promise of having a son not coming to fruition, trying to take things into their own hands. Uh, trying to bring forth God's promise, uh, you know, without God. Uh, and there was that whole situation with Hagar. And, uh, and so today, though, what is the part of the story that has been missing? Is this son that was promised. When will he arrive? Well, today is the day. Today is the day where God will fulfill his promise to Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah. And, uh, and here's what's interesting is after they receive another visit from the Lord, instead, uh, instead of rejoicing, they laugh. They laugh at the promise. And so if you're willing and you're able, let's turn to uh, Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. Uh, if you don't, if you have a Bible and, but don't know your way around it, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And, uh, we find ourselves in the 18th chapter. So if you're willing and able, let's stand to our feet. A son is promised to Sarah. That's the header. The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to uh, Mamre. 
One day, Abraham was sitting at the entrance of his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said, do as you have said. So Abraham ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, hurry, get three large measures of your best flour, knead it into dough and bake some bread. Then Abraham ran out to the herd and chose a tender calf and gave it to his servant who quickly prepared it. And when the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt and milk and roasted meat and he served it to the men. And as they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. Where is Sarah, your wife? The visitors asked. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent and Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn out woman like me enjoy such pleasure? especially when my master, my husband, is so old. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, Can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I'll return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she denied it. She said, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, No, <laughs> you did laugh. Let's jump to chapter 21. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he promised. She became pregnant. She gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would. And Abraham named their son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby? Yet I have given Abraham a son in his old age. God, thank you for this story. And finally, after weeks and weeks and weeks of tracking this story of Abraham and Sarah, we see that you are a God who is faithful to keep your promises. You are a God who is faithful to keep your promises. And Lord, I pray today as we read this story, you would challenge us and help us uh, to understand what it is and how you would want us to respond in light of this. Help us by your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So what is happening here? Well, let's just walk through this passage bit by bit. It's a hot and sunny day. Abraham comes out of his tent. And what does he see? He sees three men in the distance. And the text tells us he runs to greet them, bowing low to the ground. But there's something interesting that's going on here. You might have noticed it. He calls them my Lord. My Lord. Oh, and we've got this wonderful scene that you can imagine here. You're under the oaks of Mamre, okay? You see three men in the distance. But when he arrives, he recognizes something about their identity. There's something different about one of them. He bows low to the ground. He declares that they 
that this person is his Lord. In fact, if you look at this text, we actually see that he uses this word Adonai, which is a name of God. Abraham believes at least one of these figures is Yahweh, the living God, entered flesh, come to visit Abraham. And so this is a very, very big deal. He offers them a shady place to sit. He runs and tells Sarah to make some bread. And he goes out to the field to get a calf, some prime rib. He brings his, his best before them. He gives them a five-star dining experience that is totally worth the 25% tip that most places are asking for these days. It's a great day. And I think this is a, uh, a minor preaching point, not really the point of this text, but we see from Abraham someone who just shows incredible hospitality, incredible hospitality. He's looking out and he sees three strangers. He doesn't know them. He's never met them. They're not close to him. And yet he treats them as honored guests. He seats them at his table. He brings them his best. And I think that there's something to be said here about the call of us as followers of Jesus, that we would be hospitable people. But the second thing that I noted on this text here is this, is because this is the Lord, God incarnate, I think there's also something to said about, do we set the table? Do we create hospitable uh, times where God can actually meet with us and speak with us? We see this unfolding in this story that's really, really profound. He has a conversation with them. And one of the things that they say in this conversation is this, is once again declaring this promise over Abraham and Sarah, but this time they give a very specific timeline. By this time next year, when we return, Sarah will have a son. Now, Sarah is in the tent, okay? She's kneading the dough. She's doing her whole thing. She's, she's preparing the food. She's kind of hiding out behind the scenes. And, and it says that as she's overhearing this, she laughs silently to herself, it's really interesting. She just chuckles to herself quietly. No one would have heard it, especially the guests who were, you know, a room over. And yet, something very interesting in this text is that they know that she has laughed. This is once again revealing the identity of these guests, that there is an aspect of divinity and an omniscience, an all-knowing nature to them. That they know that she is laughing about what is being said. And so they ask Abraham, why did she laugh? Well, of course, why is she laughing? She is 90 years old, <laughs> right? Her husband is 99. Uh, like, you know, ladies over the age of 60, right? If someone said to you, this time next year, you'll have a child, you would probably laugh silently to yourself. Men, right? If your wives are, are you know, in their golden years. If somebody said to you, right, that your wife was going to have a baby next year, you probably would laugh as well. They've waited so long on this promise that she is just, she, she just laughs. Oh, come on. Really? This again? This promise of this child it might have just been like, you know, some people actually use laughter to cover up pain. She's spent 90 years of her life, you know, with this inability to have a child. This is a very painful reality. Very painful reality. Very challenging reality, especially in that day and that time when there was this expectation that as a woman, one of your, your roles in society is to have children. And this is something that she is unable to do. 
And so here are these guests once again promising that she is going to have a child. And I wonder actually if this laughing silently to herself isn't a chuckle, but actually covering up deep sadness and sorrow. She just can't believe it. It's been 24 years since supposedly God had made this promise to her husband. But now she is hearing this promise for the first time from the lips of these messengers, and she laughs. She laughs. She expresses just reality. She says, how is it possible that an old woman like me can have pleasure like this? I I think she started to believe this lie that she doesn't deserve good things anymore. Clearly, she's done something wrong. Clearly, she's offended the Lord. Clearly, how could she have a pleasure such as this? She's looking at the circumstance and something doesn't add up here for her. But then they have this conversation. They say, we know that you laughed. But Sarah, is anything too hard for the Lord? And we see a number of chapters later that they were not lying to her. That she did have this child. That she did go into labor. And this time, rather than laughing in sorrow, she's laughing in praise, in shock, in adoration, in joy. She gives birth to a son named Isaac. And Isaac means... Laughter. She says, God has given me laughter, and all who hear this will laugh with me. What are the takeaways for us this Sunday? Well, here's my big idea for us, and I just have one idea, and I'll kind of circle it and look at it from different angles. God is a promise keeper. Don't laugh. God is a promise-keeping God. Don't laugh. Did you know this? That the God of the Bible is a promise-keeping God. He is a God who always keeps his promises because of his covenantal relationship with us. And you see this all throughout the biblical story. On four occasions, we see God make covenants with individuals and with people to build a relationship with them and to bring about the restoration of all things. Now, I was thinking how I could explain covenants to you and all of this kind of stuff. But then I, I thought of a video by my friend Tim Mackey at the Bible Project, and I felt that it would help us understand this morning uh, the idea of covenants and how they work. Uh, and so we're going to play this video now, and then we'll get back in, into the preaching. So let's play that now. If you've been around Christians, you've probably heard of the idea of having a personal relationship with God, which could mean different things in the Bible, like having God as a friend or your father, or maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much. And that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right, and this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. It's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many. 
and he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. So let's see how these work. The first one is with Noah. So in this story, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption. And Noah and his family are the only ones left. And so God makes a covenant with Noah saying, listen, I know that humans will continue to be evil, but despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, the earth will be this reliable place for us to work together. Great. So what does Noah have to do? Nothing. And that's what's so interesting about this first covenant is that God is promising to be faithful, even though he knows humans won't be. The next time we see God make a covenant is with a man named Abraham. God chooses him, promises to bless him, give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. And in return, God asks Abraham to trust him and train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this covenant is God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. So that's Abraham. The next time we see God make a covenant is when Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. And this covenant is with the whole tribe. God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and that they will become a people who then represent him to the rest of humanity. That's the covenant with Israel. The last covenant is with King David. Yeah, the tribe of Israel has become this large nation ruled by David. And God asked David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel in obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. So those are the four covenants that God makes in order to restore his partnership with the whole world. But here's what happens. Israel breaks the covenant. They worship other gods, they allow horrible injustice, and so they lose their land and are forced off into exile. So it seems hopeless. But during this time, Israel's prophets talked about a day when God would restore these covenants in spite of Israel's failure, somehow. Yeah, they called it the new covenant. And this is actually what's so interesting about Jesus is that he's introduced into this story as the one who fulfills all of these covenant relationships. We're told that he's from the family of Abraham, and so he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. We're told that he's the faithful Israelite who was able to truly obey the law. And we're told that he's the king from the line of David. And so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. And that's really remarkable for one guy. Yeah, and what it highlights is perhaps the most surprising claim of all made about this man, that Jesus is no mere human, but rather God become human. And God did this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we are all made to be, but have failed to be. And so through Jesus, God has opened up a way for anyone to be in a renewed partnership with him. So Jesus calls people to follow him and become part of this new covenant family. And despite their failures, Jesus is committed to making them into partners who were becoming more and more faithful. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a fully renewed world, 
full of goodness and peace. And there's this renewed humanity there, partnering together with God to expand the goodness of his creation. And so the end of the Bible story is really a new beginning. I hope that's helpful when we're talking about this idea of covenants, is that we have a God who all throughout human history comes alongside to find individuals who are representatives of the whole to make a covenant with them. A covenant is bigger than a contract, uh, and it's not just a civil agreement. It is an unbreakable promise where God enters humanity and makes an agreement that he makes promises that he will uphold if we uphold our side of the bargain. But we know that the story of the Bible, and it was clearly laid out in this video, is that time and time again, we let go and we do not hold up our end of the bargain. But here's the incredible thing, is that God is so faithful. He is such a promise-keeping God that when he makes a commitment, he cannot break it. He always operates based off the rules of the covenant that he has made. And he makes a covenant with Abraham and Sarah. He promises them that their name will be great and they will be a great nation. In Genesis chapter 15, we see that he actually does the covenant ceremony with Abraham and he himself walks twice through uh, these animals that have been cut in half, representing that if he, Abraham, or his descendants, or if God breaks this promise, that it will lead to death. So he's saying, even if you fail, and even if you uphold to, to uh, keep up your commitments, I will always keep my promises. My friend, this is who our God is. He is a God who keeps his promises. But here we find ourselves in this story, and even though he has made this promise time and time again, he has not come through on his promises yet. And so the result is, as we walk through, is that they laugh. Look at this, verse 9, where is Sarah your wife? The visitors asked. She's inside the tent. Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will return this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation, and she laughed. Now, I feel like we've been beating up on Sarah recently a lot, you know, and, and her failure. But in chapter 17, which is a chapter that we've jumped over in our, in our preaching time, we see that Abraham also responds with laughter in light of this promise from God. Look at uh, it, chapter 17, verse 15. Then God said to Abraham, regarding your wife, Sarai, your, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be her descendant. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How can I become a father at age 100, he thought. And how can Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? They respond with laughter. You ever have an experience like this? One where you actually maybe laughed to yourself silently in light of hearing the promises of God? Maybe you're reading through the scriptures and you're seeing a promise and you laugh to yourself. How on earth is that going to come to be? Or so much for that promise. You haven't done anything for me. Huh, right? Just laugh to yourself. I think we can all relate with Abraham and Sarah, that when God is slow to bring about his promises, sometimes what can happen due to our pain, our frustration, our apathy, our, 
Whatever it might be, we begin to chuckle to ourselves. You ever had anyone speak over you just something in like complete faith and you kind of laugh to yourself? They don't know you laugh, but you laugh to yourself because you're like, yeah, that's silly. God's not going to do that for me. We see that they laugh. I think we need to be careful what we laugh at and how we laugh. Our God is a promise-keeping God. But it's hard not to silently laugh to ourselves sometimes. Especially when God's promise contradicts so wildly the situation before us. And especially when it feels like it's beyond human capacity, right? And there's so many examples of this in our world today. Like God's promise that he is going to return and make all things new. It's just hard to believe. Revelation chapter 21, when he talks about there's going to be a place with no more pain and sorrow and sickness and death and war. When we see the destruction of this world, it's sometimes it's just hard to believe. Some of you have done some things that are really atrocious and difficult and harmful to others. And when you hear the promises that God has forgiven you and that just by simple faith and belief, you just hear, ah, really? Could God actually forgive a person like me? You see, when our situation or our circumstances wildly contradict God's promises, when our human capacity to bring it about in our own strength is lacking, it, is, it's, it's, it makes sense to me. Like, actually, I, I don't look at this story with a lot of eyes of criticism for Abraham and Sarah. Their circumstances... There, there was no way that it, it felt like within human capacity this was going to happen. And it had been a long time. They're in their 90s. They've been waiting 24 years. But friends, our God is a promise-keeping God. And we actually see that he does come through for them even though it doesn't align with their circumstance or their capacity. We see in 21, it, it, it highlights this fact. The author of Genesis is really trying to get this point through, that God does keep his word. Look at this and we can underline it. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened just at the time that God had said it would. And Abraham named their son Isaac eight days after he was circumcised. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby? He, he's trying to draw. Who would have said? God said on multiple occasions, that this would happen. And repetition in the Bible is never an accident. The author is making a point. The Lord is a Lord. He is a God who keeps his promise. He is a God who keeps his promises to us. And if God has said it, he will do it. Now, the frustrating part is this, is that oftentimes when God keeps his promises, he does it in his own timing. He does it in his own timing. God's timing is different than our timing. And he often takes much longer than we would appreciate. Much longer than we would appreciate. We live in an instant culture where we no longer have to wait for anything. Receiving messages, right? I can literally, I could probably text my 81-year-old grandmother right now and within two minutes she will reply back to me. 
There's just an instant nature to it, right? Back in the day when people would send mail by owl, oh, sorry, I mean <laughs> pigeons. <laughs> I think I've, been, I've been reading too much Harry Potter, clearly. Uh, <laughs> By pigeons. Like, think about how long it would take for a pigeon, right? <laughs> to take your mail and bring it back. Even kings had to send runners, and they would have to go by foot or horseback, and it would take days upon time. Even our modern, modern postal system, it takes a few days for mail to get to us. But now you send an email, you can get a reply within an hour. It's amazing. Amazon, okay? Amazon Prime. It's unreal. You can order something and within 24 hours or less, it arrives on your doorstep, okay? We are making uh, Jeff Bezos filthy rich, okay? In my, in my apartment building right now, there's just like literally piles of Amazon packages, right? In the mailroom every single day and there's more and more arriving. Things can happen, just things happen so quickly now and we live in this instant culture where we no longer have to wait for everything but this isn't how God works he isn't always instant or quick and God doesn't always work swiftly as we would like and because of this we wonder whether he is there and whether he cares and when we read his promises we laugh silently to ourselves because they don't happen in an instantaneous fashion like we're used to but time is different than God. All right, time is different for God. In uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, it says this, But you must not forget this one thing. Dear friends, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't slow to bring about his promises as some people think. To God, time is different. A day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day as a, as a almighty, all-knowing, uh, infinite being who is outside of time. The, the, the way that we experience time is not the way that he experiences time. We have a God who sees the big picture of things. He sees the full scope of history. God sees time differently. And part of the Christian walk is one of waiting sometimes. Waiting on God to move as he wills and when he wills. But this is so hard, isn't it? It is so, so hard. And I am so impatient at times. Left to my own devices without God's help and a child on board in my car, I am weaving in and out of traffic. I am in the HIV, HOV lane with my hair on fire. I am just impatient, wanting to lay on my horn, frustratingly trying to take shortcuts to just cut down five minutes. <laughs> and God is not like this. So I get why Abraham and Sarah just say, LOL, God. Really? <laughs> but we're extorted we're to wait on the Lord. In Psalm 46, verse 10, he says this, Be still, wait, and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still, in essence, wait, stop moving. Stop trying to make it happen by yourself. The NASB says it this way, instead of be still, it says stop striving 
and know that I am God. And if we only got that sometimes, if only Abraham and Sarah got that, they were given a promise, but instead of waiting, they got working. First to Abraham, trying, he was trying to come up with a backup plan for God. Do you remember this? God promised him a son. He's like, so God, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm really old. And so is Sarah. But hey, I've got this great plan, right? Eliza, my servant, he could be the guy who inherits everything and like, you know, and, and, and the promise will go through him. And God is like, no, I'm going to give you a son. And then we see, you know, this was last week, the plan with Hagar. Okay, it's been 13 years since God has made this promise. Sarah's like, I've got an idea. <laughs> Our servant Hagar, you know, maybe you could just make love to her. Maybe you could bring about a baby. Some of you never wanted to hear your pastor say the word make love. But, uh, <laughs> and out of that situation, Ishmael comes in the circumstances, comes into the world. Then in chapter 17, God promises once again to give Abraham a son. What does Abraham say? Well, hey, listen, just in case you forgot, I'm old and Sarah's old, but I do have this son, Ishmael, and maybe you could bless him and use him instead. You see, instead of just waiting and being still, for God to fulfill his promise, they start working and striving to try and make it happen. And this is the temptation for you and for me, is that when God is not working, we want to on his behalf. But the scriptures encourage us time and time again, wait on the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Wait on the Lord to fulfill his promise. Stop striving. Be still and know that I am God. We're called to, in faith, trust God, even when our circumstances and our human capacity doesn't align with what he has told us. And if we do, here's what will happen. We'll laugh. But not in a mockery but we'll laugh with praise. We'll laugh with joy. We will find ourselves elated because the thing that I know is this, if God promised it, he will do it. If he didn't promise it, there's no guarantees. We can bring our prayers, our requests, our problems, our situations before him and ask him to move, but there's no guarantees that he has to move on our behalf. But if he has promised it, he will do it. He will do it. Is anything too hard for the Lord? These people say. The answer is no. How do we know? Because we are called to be still and know that he is God. We know who God is. We know what he is like. We have seen how he has operated in history. We have seen how even though we have broken covenants with him time and time again, he has always upholded his side of the bargain. We have seen that even when we fail, he sent his son Jesus Christ into this world to keep the commitments that we could not keep in order that we could have salvation, in order that we could have new life. You see, friends, we have a God who always keeps his promises. He is Adonai, Lord. 
He is Elohim, creator God. He is Yahweh, the living God. He is Al-Roi, the God who sees us. He is El Shaddai, God Almighty. And because of this, we can know that he will keep his promises to us because we know who he is and we know what he has done. And so even when it doesn't make sense, the call of the gospel and the option for you and me is to, in faith, say, I believe I believe in who you are. I believe in what you've done. And even though it doesn't make sense, I will keep trusting. I will keep waiting. I will keep praying, God. I will not give up on you. I will continually pursue you because I believe that you are a God who keeps your promises. And we saw it in our story. God did keep his promise. And he gave them a son. And his name was Isaac. And through Isaac and his descendants would come another son, given to another complicated and impossible situation, a child put in the womb of a virgin named Mary, who would be the God of the universe in the flesh once again, who would live among us, who would do many miracles, but most importantly, he would die on a cross for you and for me, and three days later, he would raise from the dead, guaranteeing and that we can know without a shadow of death, without a shadow of a doubt, that our God is a God who keeps his promises. So we don't need to laugh, but we can believe. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite the communion service forward and we're going to respond by coming to the table this morning. God, we come before you this morning. And the reality is, is this, is that many of us, as we look at our circumstances and as we look at our own capacity, we say, there's just no way, God, that you're going to keep this promise to me. But the pages of scripture and the stories of what you've done, they reassure us once again this morning that you are, a, you are a promise-keeping God. You are a promise-keeping God. And you are a God who keeps your promises. You are faithful to the very end. And so I pray today for my friends. Some of them are at their wit's end. They are frustrated. They're finding themselves hopeless. And when they hear your promises, they laugh silently to themselves. But I pray today that this story, God, would inspire within them faith once again. Trust, belief, that you are a God who comes through. And that you will come through for us. Even though our sight tells us this is impossible. By your spirit, would we remember, God, that nothing is too hard for you.
Father, in our hearts right now, I'm going to just encourage us to just bring before the Lord our pain, our sorrow, our challenges, our frustrations. grateful that you hear us this morning and I pray that you would keep your promises to us thanks for listening to this message if you've been listening to our sermons but you're not a part of a church community we would love to have you join us you can go to cachurch.ca slash rail city to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the rail city campus of CA Church